Well, good morning. Now I have a, an extra mic and these bright lights. So now you all can hear me breathe and you can see my every move. and We'll be all right. It's good to know that you all are participating in things like the disaster relief training. I was watching, I saw on Facebook that they were doing that, um, that they were starting that training. I think that training is sort of ongoing, but it just made me think. We went down to Fort Myers Beach and did some work recently, and uh, there's a great need for, for that kind of training. So I don't know if you all have ever heard of Eight Days of Hope, but we work with an organization down there called Eight Days of Hope, and they have got things just lined out. You just, you don't have to show up with anything. They provide a place for you to stay. They provide uh, food. They provide all the opportunity. You just show up and they tell you what to do and you get to minister to people and you get to do, do good work. And it's, that's eight days of hope if anybody wants to look, look that up. It, it was really good. It was a good experience. Today I want to talk about discipleship. I was asked to I'm going to be honest, I preached this sermon at my church a month ago or so. Dale only gave me like three days notice, so I, I, <laughs> I, took a, I took a sermon I already had prepared. But you all haven't heard it, so that's all right. But our church is doing a series on discipleship. I think it, I think it ends today, actually. I, I think it ended last week. But I was, I was given the opportunity to share about uh, the, the theme of the series is what does a disciple of Christ look like? And my portion of that was how do we hunger for God? How do we hunger for His Word? And how do we, how are we to pray? What, how, with these things in mind, how should our prayer life look? So I just want to go over these things. This, this lesson is, is very practical. I, I give, they're not my ideas, but they're, their discipleship methods that we should all be practicing and and I need to hear these things myself because I fail in a lot of I fail in a lot of these things. So what does a disciple of Christ look like? Here's a question for you to toss around in your head. What do you all think a disciple looks like? How would somebody know that you are a disciple? Just think about that for a second. Jesus tells us in John Chapter 13, verses 33 through 35. I guess I don't have to adjust that when I have this one on my... Can you all hear me fine? Everybody hear me fine? Jesus tells us in John chapter 13, verses 33 through 35, Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer, and as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I am going. So now I give you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Take a few seconds and think about ways you're, you're, you're doing well with loving people and, and think about ways that you're not because we're all, we're all guilty of not loving each other well. And Mr. Rowland, I, I showed up late to Sunday school this morning. Of course, I had a two-hour drive to get here. It's cold everywhere in Kentucky. I've seen the whole state today, and it was cold the whole time. Fortunately, I had heat in my truck, but... Mr. Rowland stole several of my points today, and I was only there for half the, half the lesson. So. so our love for one another should prove to the world that we are, are disciples of Jesus. If Jesus tells us to love each other as He loved us, what does this mean? Does this mean that we should be willing to die for one another? 
That's a scary thought. But if you think about the global mission field, there are still martyrs today. You know, people go to countries like Algeria or Afghanistan or just recently, I don't know if you all remember this, four or five years ago, this guy went to North Sentinel Island and I don't know how prepared he was for all that, but he took a, took a spear to the chest, I think, just like similar to uh, Jim Elliott back in the 50s or 60s. So does Jesus, you know, is the expectation that, we, that, that that's the kind of love that we should be carrying out? Well, yes and no, I think. Even if we're not called to the global mission, we're not persecuted in that way in America, fortunately. Uh, but, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't live sacrificially. We, sh we can sacrifice our time. We can sacrifice our finances. We can sacrifice, this is a hard one, personal comfort. We can, there are many, many things we can sacrifice. And, if, it, and if, if we're called to do so, we can sacrifice our lives as, as these, these missionaries do. They, they sacrifice everything, their personal comfort, their, their finances, their home, wherever they're from, their, at times their lives. So I'm not saying we're all called to sacrifice our life overseas for the sake of the gospel per se, but the Great Commission is that we're to go to all nations and make disciples and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So Jesus does call us to live a sacrificial life for the sake of each other and especially lost people. Think about the Jesus and the rich young ruler. He tells, he tells the rich young ruler, you know, to follow me, give up everything, you know, step away from all these worldly treasures that you have. And, and the rich young ruler he wasn't, he wasn't feeling that. He, he wasn't too excited about all that. So, with all of this said, I believe that there are two primary requirements for being a disciple of Christ. And I think Brad brought it up, brought it up this morning. We must love God and we must love our neighbor. And I think we hear often, you know, Christianity here is cultural. Sorry, I told you you're going to hear me breathe. Christianity here in the U.S. Is, is quite cultural sometimes. Even within our churches, it, it's cultural. And we, we say things, but a lot of times our actions don't line up with what we say. And so, I'm getting sidetracked, but I believe there are two primary requirements of being a disciple of Christ. We must love God. Well, how do we do that? We can't just say, you know, I believe in God. How, how many times have you heard somebody say, I believe in God, but, but they don't? They don't expand. They're not able to expand on that. It's just a surface level. I believe in God, you know, but to truly believe in God, we must believe that He created the universe and everything in it. We must understand that we have been sinful since Genesis chapter three, and we must recognize our own personal sinfulness. We must believe that God sent Jesus to earth to die for our sins on the cross. We must believe that Jesus was buried and rose from the dead three days later and ascended into heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father. We must believe that He sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in the body of the believer. Can I get a joyous amen for everybody that does believe those things? Amen. Great. So that's primary requirement number one, is that we are to love God in that expanded form, not just a surface level cultural mention of the name God. Primary requirement number two, we must love our neighbor. And 
we talked about it a moment ago, in what ways are you doing this and what ways are you failing at this? If these are the two primary requirements, how, what are ways that we can optimize our, our following Jesus? How can we optimize our discipleship? One of the best resources I've discovered is a book by Don Whitney called Personal Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. And I, I've taken a few seminary classes. I'm, I'm, I, don't, I don't know exactly when I'll ever finish seminary, if, if I ever will. It's an arduous process. But one of the classes that I've taken so far is Personal Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. And in this book, Don Whitney outlines things that we should be doing uh, if we are disciples of Christ. And I just want to outline the chapters of that book to give us ideas of some of the things that we should be participating in in our spiritual lives. As, as Mr. Rowland talked about this morning, how can we mature? How can, how can our holiness increase? How can wisdom increase in our lives? And this book, outside of Scripture, this has been one of the most useful books that I've ever read. So chapter one, the spiritual disciplines for the purpose of godliness. Chapter, chapters 2 and 3, Bible intake. And he, he spoke about how it's okay to listen to the Bible. There, there's different, he called it the eye gate and the ear gate. He said you can, you can read Scripture, you can listen to Scripture. So sometimes we get worn out reading. And, and we, you know, this morning I drove, I was listening to music this morning, worship music this morning, but I drove two hours. I could, how, much of the, how much of Scripture could I have knocked out in that two hours? You know? So chapter 4, prayer. Chapter 5, worship. And, e and each chapter is... I, 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 let me back up. Worship for the purpose of godliness. Each chapter is for the purpose of godliness. Chapter 6, evangelism for the purpose of godliness. Chapter 7, serving for the purpose of godliness. Chapter 8, stewardship for the purpose of godliness. Chapter 9, fasting for the purpose of godliness. Parents, you're going to like this one. Chapter 10 parents of young children especially, silence and solitude for the purpose of godliness. Chapter 11, journaling for the purpose of godliness. Chapter 12, learning for the purpose of godliness. And chapter 13, perseverance in the disciplines for the purpose of godliness. Our church does a podcast called, what is it called? The United Collective, where we interview people so that they can share their testimony in 30 minutes or, or, or however long it takes, it really doesn't matter. But we have six questions and you know, we, just, we just share our testimony based on those six questions. And you'd be surprised how many people you ask to share their, their testimony and they say, well, I don't, I don't really have one. I don't really know what mine is. And that, that's a little alarming, but, but I just wanna say, everybody, if you're saved, you have a testimony. You don't have to be a drug riddled criminal to have a, a, a spiritual testimony. If God has changed you and brought you from death to life, that is a miracle. So don't be ashamed about your lack of testimony, so to speak. But one thing that I keep hearing over and over and over, we've, we've done, I don't know how many we've done to this point, maybe 30 now. And, and a common theme is people will say, well, I was saved when I was 10, but, but I didn't really, I don't know how, how people phrase it most of the time, I didn't really start living right until I was 25, or I didn't really start following the Lord well until I was, whatever, 30. And a lot of people say, I didn't know how to apply my faith. So I want with to, the, with the thought of the word application, I want to I try to give some practical applications so that 
that can no longer be an excuse that we use because there are ways that we can apply our faith. And another thing, I, back to this discipleship message, message I, I've really meditated on why would people say, you know, I was saved at 10, but, but I, didn't, I didn't start living, living it out until I was 25 or 30 or 40. I think there's a huge hole of discipleship in the church. We, come, we show up to church. I'm sorry if this makes your toes hurt a little, but we show up to church and we just sit. I, and I'm not saying we're always guilty of this, but we consume and we consume and we consume. But how often do we link arms with somebody and, and go through life with them? Like we were talking about this morning about confession of sin and, and uh, what did you say, brotherly affection in, in First Peter. Was it First Peter or 2 Peter? So we are to lock arms with each other. We are to genuinely confess sin. And we talked about gossip. Well, if gossip doesn't mean anything if you've already been honest about your confession. You know, if I steal a car and I, I confess, I hope I don't steal a car at this point. <laughs> but if I stole a car and I, I was convicted of that, not legally convicted, spiritually convicted, and I take the car back and I apologize to the, to the car lot owner and I confess my sin to the Lord, well, all of a sudden, gossip doesn't matter. Everybody knows. You know, God knows. The car lot knows. I know. If somebody's going to gossip about that, that's their fault. Not, that's not on me. So we don't, need to, I don't, we don't all need to stand up and confess everything to everybody all the time. But we, in discipleship and in our walk with Jesus, we need to, to lock hands, lock arms with some, a group of trusted people, brothers. If I'm a man, it needs to be men in the church. If I'm a woman, it most likely needs to be women. And it can be a, group, it can be a mixed group, but, but it's just, I think it's healthier if we stick with our gender. Um, where we can be honest with each other and really confess and, and, there's, and, and rid of all that shame because we all, we are all sinful. I'm getting fired up and I'm getting away from my notes here, so let me, let me back on up. But. Okay, I'm down further than I thought. So I'm getting to the application. These are ways that we can apply our faith. We can, you know, you hear people say, I was raised in church, but I didn't know how to apply my faith or... Um, the things I was hearing within the church were just head knowledge. I didn't know how to apply what I was hearing. Well, after today, you can't say that. In just a few minutes, we'll find out why. Okay, so again, the outline of this sermon will be hunger for God. How do we hunger for God? How do we hunger for His Word? And what should our prayer life look like? So in my life, I didn't... I wasn't in a place where I was asking really to hunger for God. I just became, I just realized my lostness. I think I shared my testimony kind of briefly last week that seems like a month ago. Last week seems like a month ago. Was that last week? Seemed like a long time ago. But I just got to a point where I realized that I wasn't God and there, if, I, if I wasn't God, there must be a God because I, I was living my life very selfishly just as we do, you know, I think, well, look, I've got this great job. I've got, look at the family that I built. Look at the, you know, and I realized that inside that there was this emptiness, like, 
God was telling me, you didn't do that. I didn't realize it at the time, but he was just making things clear to me. So my hunger for God was involuntary. I, I didn't... Once I realized that since I wasn't God and there must be one, I, a hunger started building inside me. And I don't know how I don't know if it's that way for everybody. I think it's that way for a lot of people. We get to a point of desperation where we where we realize that we're not in control and we 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 have to cling to God. And I often say that my my testimony is an Ecclesiastes testimony, and I think you'll understand that if I read Ecclesiastes chapter one verses one through eleven. This is a little bit depressing, so get your little, get your Kleenexes out. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets, then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then turns north. Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, and the sea is but the sea is never full. Then the water returns again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. History merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, here's something new, but actually it is old. Nothing is ever truly new. We don't remember what happened in the past, and in future generations, no one will remember what we are doing now. As outlined in this passage, the world seems meaningless. Like I said, in my own life, it just of course, I, I loved and, and appreciated and respected my family and my job and all that, but it just felt mean, it just felt meaningless. So this is when I, I really started to begin to hunger for God. And we can see this in other people too. We, this emptiness can, can take the form of people feeling hopeless or depressed or anxious or drunkenness or drug abuse or apathy. And, and that's kind of where I found myself was apathetic. I just, eh, work, eh, family, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feed them and all that. But what are we doing? Like, what, what is this? I just, I was just lost, just absolutely lost. And that's when a disciple of Christ, through his obedience, came into my life at the perfect time and began to share his faith, which is evangelism. And it made me uncomfortable and um, now looking back, you know, I get uncomfortable with evangelism at times, especially in my own town. It, I know all those people. It's easy for me to get up here and preach to you all. I don't know any of you all. <laughs> I know some of you now, but, but, I'm glad, but it's hard in your own town. I've lived there my whole life. I, I came up, I went to NKU for four years, and I've tried to come back a couple times, and it's never worked out, but... Um, so through his obedience, his name is Mac. He's an associate pastor at the church we're members of. And he lives right down the street from me. So he would, he would see me and he would... I think our, our immediate connection was that he went to NKU and I went to NKU and I, I had an NKU shirt on one day. So he just used that as a, as a doorway into my life. Hey, you went to NKU? Yep, blah, 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 blah. And then he just persisted. And honestly, he got on my nerves I really, I'd see him, he, he says it all the time. He'll say, you know, I would see Tink running up the street and he like physically running to try not to get this, but he would say, hey Tink, how you doing? I'd say, I gotta keep this heart rate up. 
bye, you know. But he persisted. He knew I was stubborn. He knew, he knew I was lost. I'm sure it didn't take much to see that at the time. So he just persisted in, in evangelizing. And, and he, is the, the, he is who I lean on now. And, there, and there's several others now. But he was the initial disciple maker that entered my life. I probably get on his nerves now because I call him every 10 minutes to ask him questions. But the book of Isaiah says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news, the good news of peace and salvation, the news that the God of Israel reigns. So, everybody hold up one finger, your index finger, please. Practical application number one. What about the person who's consciously attempting to hunger for God but feels that they're failing in this? or God isn't making things clear to them. One thing that this person could do is fast. And we're not talking about, you can put your fingers down, I'm sorry. Or you can keep them up out it, it doesn't matter to me, whatever you want. Your hand might fall asleep. You all really listen, huh? You take things literally, that's good. Okay, so fasting, and we're not talking about fasting to lose weight. In worldly terms, fasting is a diet strategy, that's not what we mean. Christian fasting is a believer's voluntary abstinence. Oh, Christian fasting is a believer's voluntary abstinence from food for spiritual purposes, according to Don Whitney in the book that I mentioned earlier. According to John Piper, Christian fasting at its root is a hunger of a homesickness for God. Fasting sometimes seems the only way to answer the ache in our hearts for the consummation of all things. For the time when we are at last with God and all things are restored, made new, and made right. So what begins to happen after we hunger for God? How are we to get to know Him better through a relationship with Him? I kind of I think I kind of I didn't touch on my fasting enough. Let me back up. I get caught up in the notes. There's so many words in here. I get, let's just get lost in my own mind. But fa fasting, this is something that I do not do enough of. There's so many things going on in my life that I need prayer. I need, I often fail to pray for my own life. I, I get caught up praying for everybody else, which is good. We should do that as well. But I oftentimes neglect, God, where do you want me to go? Is it, should I? Should I go to Bellevue Baptist this Sunday and preach? Should I stay home? Should I preach this sermon? You know, I've decided to go. Do I preach this sermon that I've already prepared? Sandy Tool said it was cheating that I did that. I, but you all haven't heard it. But so if we have something in our lives that, that it could be anything. Scripture tells us to pray without ceasing. But every time we fast and, our, and we get... We feel those hunger pains coming. We it's a reminder. Okay, I need. I, this is what I'm. This is what I need to be praying about. This is. I need to seek the Lord in this. And when we fast, we're not supposed to go around telling everybody that we're fasting either. We we keep it quiet, and it's just between us and and the Lord. Not not everybody else. Don't don't say I'm so hungry today. I'm fasting. You know, just keep it to yourself. It's between you and the Lord. So, this is where I got ahead. So after we begin to hunger for God, how do we get to know Him better? How, you know, we're in that initial stage, and hopefully you all are past this stage, you're here this morning, but we start to hunger for God, 
and we realize, okay, there's got to be a way to get to get to know him better. Well, that's this happens through his word. This happens through his word. This happens through relationship with other Christians and through involvement in the church. So let's talk about his word. Some of my favorite passages regarding God's word. Psalms chapter 19, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is inspired by God. I think ESV says all scripture is God breathed and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 5 and 6. Every, good, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to all who come to Him for protection. Do not add to His words, or He may rebuke you and expose you as a liar. Psalm chapter 12, verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. Charles Spurgeon says that a Bible that's falling apart usually, belong, usually belongs to somebody whose life is not falling apart. And I've, I don't have that quote totally memorized, but it, it, it's a, the theme of it is fantastic. If we are in the Word, even when our, we were talking about it this morning, even when our lives are in shambles, we go through trials, if the Holy Spirit's producing fruit in our lives, we have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. I've messed it up. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We have a cancer diagnosis. Well, we have peace. Uh, any, whatever. Whatever the thing is, we should have a level of peace that, that is beyond understanding. And if we're reminded, if we're, the more we're in Scripture, the more we are reminded that this is, this is how we are to be. We, you know, the Holy Spirit produces these things and gives us wisdom over time and, and just builds us up. Another thing that I've heard through the testimony, the, the podcast, and, and just through conversations with people that people say, I don't know how to approach reading the Bible. There's so much, there's so much to do it. Do I start, where do I start? Old Testament, New Testament. Should I read the epistles? Should I read the gospels? Should I, should I suffer through Leviticus? <laughs> there are so many ways, there are so many it's so vast and it's hard to sit down until you get to a certain level of maturity. It's hard to really sit and for it to make sense. So how do we, how do we gain traction in that? Okay. Practical application. Number two, girls, number two, hold on to your chair. You ready? It's going to blow your, blow your hair back. Practical application. Number two, revert back to practical application. Number one, Beg God through prayer to give you a desire to understand Him and His desires for you. Pray that He gives you a passion for His Word. Fast, and every time you get hungry in your gut, pray that God will make your understanding of His Word clear. When this works, because it will, move on to practical application number three. So I put that in there twice because we need to be reminded. Because this, this is a marathon, not a sprint. We're going we're gonna to forget as we walk with the Lord, what we should be doing. We need, to, we need to just remind ourselves often. But practical application number three, and this is an important one, be in the Word with other Christians. So like I said, when you, when you initially, when you start reading, it, 
it's it's hard. It's just not easy. You read something and you don't know how to discern what you're reading. You don't know all these names, all these lineages. It's just tough. But when you sit down with a group of people, it makes so much more sense. I learned this lesson in college. It was one of the maybe a few lessons that I learned. But I've told this story a hundred times, so I feel bad telling it again. But again, you all haven't heard it. I went to NKU. Well, to get into NKU, I had to take the ACT. I was not a good student. I was not a good student. Do they still take the ACT? Is anybody in high school? Is that still a thing? Okay, so I didn't prepare. I didn't go to study groups. I just showed up whatever day it was on a Saturday probably, which made it even worse. And I got a 19 on the ACT. And I thought, well, that's not very good. So I decided, you know, we'll try that again. And I didn't study and I didn't prepare. And I did the exact same thing I did the first time, which was show up. And this time I got a 19 or nope, 17. So I got dumber in a month's time or whatever it was. But fortunately for me, all you needed at the time was a 19 to get into NKU. And I think they, uh, they've upped that. It was 22 like the year after, but now they'll take your money if you have money, just, just give them the money. I don't know, actually know how that works, but I'm sure they would. But I was taking a freshman orientation class and of course you had to pay for that too. Is a three credit hour full semester class. But anyways, the, the, the lesson that we were taught, one lesson that we were taught was collaboration. So the, they, would, they sat us down in a group and they said, okay, I'm gonna give you a, in one minute, you're gonna answer as many of these questions as you can on your own. So we all broke up and you know, I'm dumb. I got a 19 and a 17 on the ACT. I can't answer these questions on my own. So of course you don't, you might get one right, maybe you don't get any right, whatever. And then he says, okay, now get in groups of three and we're, I'm gonna give you the same questions. And when we did that, when we collaborated, we worked together, the questions came very easy. So that is why small groups are important. One, because there's people, there should be people in the group that have more wisdom than we do. So we can ask questions and maybe that person's more mature in their faith and they can, they can guide us through. So application number three is be in the word with other Christians. One and two was to pray and fast and three is to be in the word with other Christians. Something to keep in mind, and this is, this has really been on my, on my mind and on my heart since Dale called me on Wednesday was, we all need to be being disciples and we all need to be making disciples. And the reason I say that this is, you know, I'm not living your all's lives, but it, it hurts my heart that you all haven't had a pastor for a long time. I know you've, you've had, LD was here and I don't know him. I just heard Dale mention him or whatever, but it's gotta be tough on a church not to have somebody that's in leadership. But also it, it's made me think about how important it is that we are the church just because we don't have, you know, that's, I think that's a problem in my mind with the American church is that we sit, we just sit and, con and again, I'm not, I'm not saying you all are guilty of this, but I think as, as the church as a whole is guilty, we, 
we anticipate, well, what's a, what's a pastor? What's he going, what, what kind of message is he going to deliver today? And we're not, sometimes don't take enough responsibility in our own lives. We should be, we need, we, got, we need to be in the Word every day on our own. You know, we can't rely on one man to, to lead us. But, but the reason that I'm bringing this up is that within the church, we need to be discipling each other and we need to be being discipled by somebody. That doesn't, just because you're saved doesn't mean, all right, I, I got this now. We'll, we'll just walk alone. We've got to have somebody that's, we have a discipleship relationship. But like I mentioned, Mac, my associate pastor earlier, he, uh, I would consider him the guy that I go to for things, but but also I, I pour into him. You know, as I've become more mature, he'll run things by me, and it and and then I have to be conscious and think, well, who am I doing that? Who 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 is, you know, who is my Timothy? Who is who is my Titus? You know, I have a Paul. Do I have a Timothy? Which means somebody taught me. Who am I teaching? So we we have to stay conscious of pouring into each other and discipling each other. And, and we were talking about brotherly affection this morning and I didn't mention it and I wanted to, that a lot of, you know, we're a country that gets our feelings hurt about everything, but a huge part of brotherly affection is correcting each other. You know, hey, why, why are you doing that? Don't do that. Let's reel it back in, you know, just, we just need to be walking hand in hand with other Christians. And that's what discipleship is all about. So it's just something to keep in mind that within the church, we need to be discipling and we need to be being discipled both. Don Whitney teaches a lesson about prayer. How am I on time, James? Pretty good. Dale said that you were the, you were the timekeeper. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, I'm almost finished. Don Whitney teaches a lesson on prayer called Psalm of the Day. And I, I, if you all have ever, I don't know that he's the originator of the lesson. I'm surely not. But he's the one that taught it to me. So practical application number four is praying the Bible. Don Whitney would say, uh, you know, how often do we sit and we pray he would say it in the class this way. How do we pray? How, we sit and we pray the same old things about the same old things. You know, you sit at the, at the, at the dinner table, and I, I'm not mocking this prayer by any means, but, we, you know, thank you, God, for the house. Thank you, God, for the dinner. Thank you for the, the air conditioner and my car that's paid off. Like, we just, if we're not careful, we just continually pray the same things about the same things, and, and we have no God. And the point of praying scripture is that we we do have a God. These are as as is it second Timothy second Timothy three sixteen or first Timothy? It says all scriptures God breathed and is profitable for, for teaching, correcting, rebuking. So if all scriptures inspired by God, well, we should be able to pray every line of scripture. So I wanna I want to exercise that right now the psalm, by teaching you all the Psalm of the Day lesson. And I apologize if you've heard it before, but I said a minute ago we need to be reminded of things, so here we go. So today is the 19th. Well, this Psalm of the Day lesson goes in 30 number increments. So 
there's five, every day there's five psalm of the day. Today's would be the 19th. I'm nervous. What's the math on that? I got a 19 and a 17. I can't do math in my head. 19 plus 30 is the next one. What is that? 59? 49. Okay. Well, the one I chose, if we keep adding, there's 150 psalms, so you can't go past 150. So 19, 49, X, X, X. <laughs> Sorry. Y'all have me too mic'd up. Hot mic. Okay. So with this lesson, you know, when our prayer life becomes stale or every day we could do this, we, we would say, okay, today's psalm of the day would be 19. Well, I chose 139. Don't check my math, but that's the one I'm going to pray. So I'm going to pray the first six verses of Psalm 139. And this is just, I'm sure you can Google, if I'm not being clear on how the, the math of this, I'm sure you can Google this lesson, psalm of the day. Again, if today was the, if today was the first, the Psalms would be 1, 31, 61, 91, 121. Is that clear? Clear as mud? So today, Psalm 139. Close your eyes and bow your head and I'll, I'll read Psalm 139, verses 1 through 6 and pray, pray the verses. O Lord, You have examined my heart and know everything about me. Father, You are the one that created me, so surely You know everything about me. I'm very, very grateful that I was created, and I'm even more grateful that You opened my eyes to eternal life through Your Son, Jesus Christ. Next verse. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. Father, it is terrifying that You know all my thoughts because a lot of times they are not great thoughts. But please continue to purify my life and remove all impurities. Just give me wisdom. Give me love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Just build me up and allow me to be making disciples as I as I go along. Next verse. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. Father, just allow me to... I heard recently that you know we are who we are at home. And, and your word here says, when I rest at home, you know everything I do. Just allow me to be the same person at home as I am here in this church or at wherever I go. Next verse. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. Lord, Your words are better than my words. Just put, put, put good words into my mouth. Put good words into my heart. And, and as I'm purified, just allow me to speak out of the overflow of my heart. Next verse, you go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Father, I'm very, very grateful that you are with me and that your hand of blessing is on me. Next verse, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. Father, sometimes I do lack understanding and I know that I won't fully understand everything until I am seated with you in your kingdom forever. 
So that's just that's that's a way that we can use scripture as our prayer guide so that we're not, as Don Whitney says, praying the same old things about the same old things. I'm glad he said it that way because I'll never forget it. So discipleship. It's something I, th- I think, back to the testimonies, the podcast, I've heard it over and over. Probably 25% of the people, you know, I was saved 26 or 27 and immediately was being discipled. So my, my experience was not this way. Like I was discipled well immediately. But I could see where, especially people growing up in the church, you know, and, and I was at I was at a point of, of desperation too. So I was just I had a heightened sense of oh I need to be paying attention to this. But I could see where if you grow up in the church and you're here all the time, that you could just be become relaxed and kind of forget. Like I'm not just this isn't a place to go. This is a life to be lived. I'm supposed to be living my life. You know, Jesus is more important than. Every single th- everything else, am I telling other people about him? And then after I've initially told them, am I doing what I can to cultivate cultivate that in their lives? So we must hunger for God. We must hunger for His Word, and we must be prayerful in all things that we do. And if there's any any way I can help any of you all with that, I would be glad to do that. You can. I hate to say Facebook right now, but that's probably the easiest way that you all can contact me. Dale has my phone number. You all, anybody can text me, call me, and I'd be glad to answer any questions that you had about, um, there's plenty of people in this church that can do the same, but I'm just, I want to be open with you all if you all need anybody or whatever. So if you're here this morning and you find yourself, if you, if you think back, like, who's the last person I discipled? Have I ever discipled anybody, you know? Now's the time to pray for wisdom and say, God, reveal to me what I'm supposed to be doing. Who am I supposed to be discipling? How many opportunities have I missed in the past to disciple somebody well? If you're here this morning and none of this makes sense to you, but you want it to make sense to you, please find me. I'll be up here uh, or, or somebody else within this church to explain salvation to you, explain if you have questions about discipleship, Whatever, I just, our church, our church is taking it really serious right now. Just, we're, we're doing some trainings and it's making us question things. Uh, we, we went through a training the other day and, and the guy said, the American church only wants to add to its numbers, whereas Jesus, Jesus's ministry, there was multiplication happening. So two guys would go out and then it was like exponential. Two guys would tell two guys and those two would tell four and then the four would tell eight and then it just... That's why it blew up. And I think the reason that that doesn't happen here, one, we don't make discipleship outside of the walls of the church. Evangelism must happen first, but you can start discipling somebody without them being inside this building. I think we just don't take it seriously enough. I think, I think Americans too aren't, don't have desperate needs. Like, like right now there's, I think the, the church in China, the the underground church, whatever, is blowing up because 
they're living a life of extreme persecution. They don't have all the things that we have. Well, we have, for the most part, we have everything we need. So a lot of us think, well, why do we need God if we, if we already have everything? So just be in prayer. And, and I just want to invite any of you that have any questions at all up to the front after this, and I'll, I'll pray for us here. Father, again, I appreciate this opportunity to be able to come up here this morning and to have some silence and solitude this morning in the truck by myself. That was a good, good time spent, and it gave me time to think about my life and to pray to you about your will for my life. And I just pray that we realize the urgency of discipleship and we realize that there are people, there are people everywhere that they, may, they might have, maybe they were saved when they were 10, but nobody's locked arms with them and they still feel, even though they are saved, they're not, their life isn't optimized. They're not, they're not, they don't feel well. And we want people to feel well. We, so we need to be the people that come alongside and, and, and continue to share with them. It's not, our sharing is not a one-time thing. It's something that needs to happen often. We're human and we're sinful and we, we're easy to forget. So just allow us to be the, the, the helper that people need. And I'm just grateful. Very, very, very grateful that you're growing me. And, and I, I pray that this church is able to find somebody to lead them. I know they're looking and I just pray that I pray that your hand is in all the decision making and we don't lean on our own understanding and we just lean on you through all decisions that we make. It's in Jesus name that we pray. Amen.